What's up, City of Champions? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. For this episode, I once again found myself roaming City Hall, so it feels fitting to once again highlight a fellow podcast called Speaking Municipally. On the show, Taproot Edmonton presents a weekly discussion of municipal politics where Troy Pavlik and Mac Mail pay attention to City Council so you don't have to. Check out this and other great Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com, which reminds me that this podcast, yes, the one that you're listening to right now, is also a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. This week, I had the privilege of speaking to Ward 1 Councillor Andrew Knack. Andrew's a really engaging and fascinating guy. Uh, And a lot of the city initiatives that Andrew is a part of are ones that I have a personal interest in. So this being said, we had a great chat about things like technologies, including AI and autonomous vehicles, as well as youth and public engagement, among a variety of other topics. So far in my experience, I've found that all the city councillors I've been able to speak with have been really approachable. And so that's refreshing uh, because it shows that... um, that approachability exists among politicians and uh, it, they're just people like you and I. I was really on board with uh, a lot of the things that Andrew's doing for Edmonton uh, and the motions that he supports uh, before this podcast. And I have to say that I'm an even bigger fan of his after having had the chance to chat. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Andrew Mack. And we're live. Andrew, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for having me in the city hall. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, I have to say, uh, you're the fourth city councillor I've had on now. Um, the first one who's told me to call them by their first name. Absolutely. <laughs> so it, it's cool. And I'm just going to make sure this mic is set properly. Perfect. It um, it breeds a, sort of a sense of casuality about yeah. it, which, which, which I appreciate. Um, so I want to ask you firstly, I was curious on the way over here, how much do you travel as a city councillor? Uh, so it depends. Each councillor has a different set of initiatives, so some travel more than others. So I, I'm fortunate that a lot of my initiatives keep me pretty focused in the city of Edmonton, so I typically don't have to go out to outside of the city very often. Um, you know, so I, I'm here 99% of the time, I would say, where some of the other councillors can, can go out and travel internationally because their initiatives uh, are, you know, get them that some attention and sometimes other cities want to learn mm-hmm. from us and what we're doing. Right. So yeah, I, I sort of like though being, being in and around here. It's uh, it, it's such a great place to be. And, uh, and I love sort of the, the energy in the city. And so the more I can be here, the better. So then as someone who's here 99% of the time, when, when we have politicians coming from outside of uh, Edmonton, would you be the one, because you're so focused locally, would you be the one that kind of facilitates with them? I, I can be, but but actually we it's spread out fairly evenly amongst okay. us. So we, we have this sort of system where um, uh, one month each year we get to serve as deputy mayor. So we alternate that oh, amongst cool. all 12 of us, <laughs> which is nice. So that way when the mayor is unavailable, mm-hmm. uh, instead of just one person being deputy mayor the entire time and filling out, we, we all get to sort of fill in that capacity, which is which is nice. It's, uh, uh, it gives us all a bit of, a, of an idea of, of the the different type of work that mm. the mayor does. And, uh, 
uh, you know, it's not that the mayor works necessarily more uh, in terms of overall time than the rest of council, but his time is far more focused in, in small bursts. Right. Where, because, uh, what, you know, for me, what I like about this is I can spend a lot of time on a few specific issues versus, you know, getting a 15 minute here and then the next 15 minute there. Uh, right. There, so. Yeah. Right. He sort of absorbs all the information that's presented it to him by a by experts like yourself and other council members, right? And, yeah. and and then makes the decisions based on that. Absolutely. Although I, you know, I think many would argue we're, very few of us are experts in in anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, each each one of us brings maybe our own little bit of specialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but in this role, even it's tough because you are you are not an expert, mm-hmm. and so your role really is to try to to absorb all of the information, learn from those who are experts in their fields, and then try to bring that information together with mm-hmm. just general public feedback to help make those decisions. So right. it's it's great, but yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd ever claim to be an expert in pretty much any area right now. Well, when you, when you think of the sheer magnitude and the operation of running a city, like there's so many things to focus on and you, you can't do everything, right? And you can't put money into everything that you want to. So you're in the unfortunate position of having to decide, okay, what takes priority? You've got to triage those options and that's not going to satisfy everyone. So it's, it's automatically by nature self-evidently sort of like a non-pleasing job right you're always gonna have some form of a hater or another yeah it's 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 different for me because I mean that's that's exactly what I experienced now what's different is that you know I came from my background was retail Mm -hmm. where uh, oftentimes you can make most every customer happy even if somebody comes in really mad Um, generally you can diffuse and come to a, a way forward to help them address a concern uh, but yeah I mean that that really doesn't exist in politics because there will just be a time that you have to make a decision mm-hmm. on something uh, you know we just finished talking about speed limits mm-hmm. two days ago mm-hmm. and and yeah just because every time we surveyed the majority of Edmontonians have said we want slower speeds on our local roads within our communities there's still often 30 or 40 percent that don't want that. Right. So you know that either way, no matter which decision you make, you're ticking off close to half the people. And so your goal is not not to try to make them all happy, but to try to make sure you've thought through your decision, mm-hmm. to make sure that you've clearly communicated why you've made that decision. Because mm-hmm. at the end, um, you know, I find one thing you can do, even if you can't make everyone happy, is that generally you can get most people to understand how you came to your decision, how you incorporated public feedback, expert feedback, and then made came to that conclusion and hopefully they'll they'll read that and and or, or hear that information and say hey, you know what i still disagree but i appreciate that how you put came to that decision and right. the thought you put into that decision so right. that's can't please everyone but hopefully you can get to the point where you everyone understands what what you're doing you're like a, a student in math class as long as you show your work you still get partial credit <laughs> sort of yeah yeah i think I, and i think that's part of our role too mm-hmm. i think if we don't try to actively talk about why we made decisions afterwards Mm -hmm. then that breeds cynicism that breeds that that anger at politicians that all politicians don't listen to anyone or all politicians are this or all politicians are that if you try to engage if you try to show show your work Mm -hmm. (laughs) i like that description uh and I think, yeah, you can get people to say, yeah, you know what, I, I get it. And, and, I, and I realize that this is a problem. I don't agree with the solution you put forward, but 
but I appreciate that you wanted to try and tackle that. Mm -hmm. And you just touched on two things that I want to come back to later, first being public engagement, second being speed limits, because I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it, since it's so relevant uh, (laughs) this week. Um, But I want to circle back a little bit and and ask you sort of about your origins before city council. And so what kind of retail business were you running? So just before my time on council and and really the six years leading up, uh, I ran the Bose store in West Edmonton Mall. So yeah, if you're familiar with Bose, the good speakers and headphones and audio. Yeah, the headphones I can't afford. Yeah, I I totally know that. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're awesome. And I got a staff (laughs) discount when I worked there. So I was able to get a lot of them at the time, which was good. Uh, And and yeah, I spent uh, right after I got out of university, I spent six years with them. Uh, but even prior to that, I, you know, my life was all retail working through university, working, you know, as a high school student, it was, you know, Best Buy in their gaming department. It mm-hmm. was EB games. I'm a gamer. So EB games for yeah. video games. And, and so a lot of my life was, was doing that to, to sort of pay my way through uh, university, which was great. So I grew up in Vancouver and I always, I heard of other schools doing tours of the EB Games studio because they're located in either Richmond or Burnaby yeah. or someplace just outside Vancouver. And I never got to because I was a huge gamer too. Like I yeah. grew up on Legend of Zelda, and GoldenEye, yeah. Mario Kart, <laughs> like all that stuff. The N64 was my, my platform of choice. And I love it. I was. I have to say, I was probably in the 99th percentile of gold knife players, <laughs> simply because I didn't do much else from the time I was in grade three to the time I was in grade six. Why would you want to do anything else other than play Golden Eye? It was so good. Oh, well, exactly. Don't play it now because it actually really doesn't age well. Like when <laughs> I have tried, and you're like, oh. Wow. Okay, I get at the time it was yeah. really good, but boy, it's not. It's just not. It doesn't hold up as well. well we came back to it in grade twelve because we had a grad lounge, yeah. and uh, and we found an old N sixty four. So by that time, like PS two and everything had yeah. come out. So we were playing the old like WWE Raw. Nice. We had Golden Eye, and it was amazing how just picking up that controller, it's like riding a bike. Absolutely. Like, like you know when you're so it's so intuitive. If someone asks you what buttons you're pressing, you're like, yeah. well, I don't actually know what buttons <laughs> I'm pressing. I'm I'm just moving around. I'm luckily I've broken away from my gaming addiction. Now That's I have I have not. Uh, I still love it, uh, yeah. but I'm glad the controllers have evolved because you look back at the N64 controller, you're like, how did I actually play this and make it work? Well, you know how they always say like there's debate on whether that experience as a gamer as a kid has any real world application and there's debate on you know your reaction time and and, but some people think that violent games make you violent which i think has been pretty much disproved for the most part the one real life application i can absolutely say without a shadow of a doubt for me was when we were on one of our film sets and our dop director of photography yeah um he he had a drone and we were supposed to be filming some stuff and he asked me hey can you fly the drone and i go oh i've never flown a drone before like i get it in principle but i've never done he's like oh don't worry i think he didn't actually know how to fly it which is why (laughs) he said he did but he he was like no and then i asked him how to do some things and he didn't really know so i picked it up just kind of did a quick youtube tutorial and then within five minutes was up and it was just like playing video games wow everyone like everyone in the crew was amazed not that i was any good objectively but just for my first time they're like that's incredible like how do you know how to do these things and i'm like it's just like playing video games guys now i know how now i know i can fly a drone i'm excited about exactly yeah if you ever need a side job when you're not deputy mayor you can be making a few hundred bucks a day um, what's the quickly before we touch back on right. getting to city council? No, that's the best part of this is it's it's all over the place. Excellent. Sometimes. Um, what was your what was the best and worst duty you had to do as a deputy mayor? 
Well, so my first year on council, uh, so we got elected in October 2013. My first term as deputy mayor was, I think, May 2014. And, and so there wasn't one specific experience, but it was actually the overall month that was both the best and the worst experience. And, and why I say that is that um, because I was new, I would say yes to everything. So I wasn't managing my schedule very well at that time. Right. Because you're new and you're trying to learn everything and you want to meet all of these people that want to, you know, that are reaching out to the city to have somebody participate in one of their events. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, so my default reaction was just say yes, just say yes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to do everything. Absolutely. For <laughs> and so that month, pretty much every single day, I was booked from <laughs> seven in the morning to like 10 at night. And what I loved about it was, wow, I got to meet so many incredible people and meet these different organizations. My life, uh, you know, leading into council was a lot of community leagues in mm-hmm. the city, um, but I didn't meet a lot of the different organizations, the nonprofits, the cultural groups, and and just all of the great work that various Seventonians are doing. And so I got a chance over that month to see so much uh, great examples, so many great examples of that. Um, why it so that was the part that made it the best because right. that entire month was a great learning experience. Why it was the worst is because I didn't manage my schedule. Uh, I had no life beyond that, um, <laughs> and you know, uh, you know, seeing my wife, I should have uh, maybe prioritized a little more during that. Just you know, taking a moment to breathe <laughs> and break uh, would have been nice. And so, yeah, coming out of that month, you realize. Wow, you gotta be willing to say no occasionally. Yes, mm-hmm. you go into this job expecting you're gonna work seventy to eighty hours a week, but I was working way more than that that month. Right. And so it was a good reminder that you gotta you gotta give yourself a bit of time just to unwind and decompress from from what is a fairly intense uh, job, which which I loved. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was the worst part is not ha- not seeing anyone or uh, having a life at all. It's, that. It, it's great opportunity to give you perspective, though, yeah. right? Like on in terms of how much some people work and how much they have on their plate, like. It seems like every stage of life you get to, whether you're moving from you know middle school to high school, high school to university, university to a real job, real job to a promotion, you're always kind of like piled on with more work and you never really think like you're going to be able to do it. You're like, how is this ever going to be possible? And you're overwhelmed, but somehow you adjust. So mm-hmm. I think I think if everyone was, was more aware of what other people are dealing with, and it's not always work, right? Yeah. Some people might have overwhelming family obligations. Exactly. You might have young kids and a sick dying parent yeah um and so just that ability to kind of live in someone else's shoes for a month must have been pretty invaluable to you and and kind of made this all your normal day-to-day seem a little bit yeah a little bit more relaxed my average week now is so much easier after that (laughs) it's like oh yeah oh you're working 80 hours whatever that's that's easy at this Mm -hmm. stage now um and and again now that you know how to you know now it's been some time i know how to manage my schedule and so uh, you get you you fill in those times to make sure you have a personal life still, but yeah. at the same time you still dedicate a lot of time to the city. But yeah, it was really really valuable to experience for me. So moving from retail to city council, was it one sort of straw that broke the camel's back thing that made you want to jump in, or was it more a building mounting sort of internal drive to want to do that? So uh, oddly enough, maybe a combination of both. So yeah. let me so when I first decided, it was more of a snap decision. It was mm-hmm. 2007 when I first decided to run. I was 23, just out of university. I had just started that job with Bose. Mm-hmm. And I was actually in Boston training 
uh, getting my, my beginning of training to learn learn the ropes. And it was uh, I was very excited to work with Bose. And, and so I never politics or running for uh, running for office was never on the radar. I had always been engaged in politics. I always closely followed the stories. Mm -hmm. I was primarily focused more provincially and federally than I ever did on the city side. Um, but what I had seen is we were coming up to the election in 2007, and if I recall, it was like June or July, and so we were only a couple months away from the 2007 election, and I was thinking about who am I going to vote for uh, for city council, because I hadn't followed that as closely, so I was doing a bit of research, because mm -hmm. uh, I was in the lobby of the hotel waiting for like a shuttle to go to the airport or something, and for some reason I had to check out early, so I had like three hours to kill in the lobby. Yeah, and so 2007, were you on a phone, or did yeah, you just I pick up a newspaper? Still on a phone, I uh, still had my phone, it yeah. wasn't, yeah, I can't remember which one I was using at that point, but it wasn't very great. Um, but what I do remember is first thinking, you know, I wasn't necessarily inspired by who is there at the moment, although uh, I also didn't appreciate the work they were doing because I had mm. never set foot in City Hall when I first decided to run, so I didn't truly realize. And, and so I have a, a great appreciation actually for the people who were there after I lost that election. Of but um, the other piece was that it's it was more rare at the time to see younger people elected particularly to city councils, mm -hmm. uh, provincial and federal politics, because you have that party banner. Mm -hmm. It's usually a different story. It's people vote more for the party than they do the person, but mm -hmm. municipal, it's you're voting for the person. You're on your own. And so you didn't often see younger people. I was 23 at the time and uh, in 2007, and, and then what I ended up doing uh, was thinking, okay, so I'm not inspired by who was there. And I found out in the lobby, you know, it takes 25 signatures mm -hmm. and 100 bucks to get your name on the ballot. Mm -hmm. I sort of thought to myself, like, why not? Is that really all it takes? It's all it takes to run for city council. And I love that. Okay. I love how easy it is to run. Yeah. And, and so I thought, you know what? In the worst case scenario, I'm going to get one vote, mm -hmm. my own. But if I'm not inspired by who's there, mm -hmm. and I don't feel like we're getting the representation we need, you know, I, I, I've always been engaged in politics. Why shouldn't I just step up and do it? Mm -hmm. Now, let's be honest, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't even appreciate <laughs> the difference between certain municipal issues and provincial issues right. and whose jurisdiction was what. Mm -hmm. But I was 23, young, out of university and thought, why the heck not? Mm -hmm. And so I, I got home. I uh, told told my parents, yeah, I'm going to run for city council. And they're like, what? Like, the election's <laughs> only a few months away. And they were sort of caught, up, uh, caught them off guard and... And I had no idea how to run a campaign. I had no knowledge of, you know, what kind of money do you need? What kind of time commitment do you need? So I just went in like three months before the election and said, let's go for it. Right. And uh, thankfully, the public saw that I had no idea what I was talking about <laughs> and no experience. And uh, I mean, there are plenty of 23-year-olds who know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I was not one of them. Okay. Um, so, so I appreciate that we have a lot of young people that, should, that could be on council at that age. I did not deserve to be. And thankfully, the people saw, saw through that. Mm -hmm. And easily kicked me to the curb. I lost pretty badly. Uh, How many votes did you get? Uh, like 1,300 votes. Hey, uh, that's a which, lot more than one. Which was which was better than I, which, I mean, you know, I went in thinking, oh, yeah, I can win this. Uh, I realized soon after that I had no chance. Right. And 1,300 votes thought, you know what? That wasn't half bad now that you reflected on it. Yeah, no kidding. But it was through that experience that suddenly everything changed. Mm. You know, so I, I decided sort of on a whim, but then through that experience, I thought, now I want to go into public service. I was a business grad from U of A, 
I was, you know, working with a, you know, retail company. I marketing was my background. I had even had a job speaking of being a gamer with a job interview with Nintendo, and I was like the second choice just out of university. Oh. I know the worst feeling. You're the how would have life changed, right? <laughs> um, glad I didn't get that job, um, but it was through that experience of going to the doors, uh, going to get in involved with community leagues mm. and then I just started to learn how many amazing things are happening in this city how many amazing people are involved in building such a great city mm-hmm. and and I said to myself I want to do that not necessarily an elected office even after 2007 I, I, I was going to run again I felt I was excited but that wasn't necessarily the the end dream it was just now I wanted to be in public service in some way and that could be working with the city of Edmonton as a corporation working with Edmonton Public Library working with a nonprofit who knows mm-hmm. um, but I, I decided I was gonna run again in 2010 mm-hmm. and I learned a lot more in those three years and ran again and got a lot closer but still fell a bit short. I got like 5,300 votes. Mm-hmm. And, and by 2010, we switched to 12 wards. We used to have six wards and two councillors per ward. This was the first election where it was 12 councillors, right. 12 wards. Mm-hmm. So I came a, a much closer second. Mm-hmm. And, and because I came as close as I did, I, I sort of looked at the results and said, I know how to do this now. Yeah. I know how to I, I know how to get to that the vote total that I need. Mm-hmm. I needed more time. I needed to do a couple more things. And and so I was motivated pretty much right after that election mm-hmm. to say, I'm gonna give this one more shot. And so in twenty thirteen and leading up, I, I did everything I could. I even quit my job four months before I was this was the all or nothing election. Yeah. I either was getting elected this time or I'm gonna go find something else to do with my life. Right. And, uh, and so we worked hard, quit the job, had a big tent campaign team, ran what we did, and lo and behold, you know, worked out and, and uh, been very fortunate to be doing this now for five and a half years. What was the biggest factor from, from the last time you lost to the first time that you won? Biggest factor, and, and, and there's so many different things, but in municipal politics, still the number one and most important thing is knocking on those doors and just meeting a person face to face because there is no party mm-hmm. if that person has never met you if they do not have a face and a name and if they can't put those two together they're not even going to look at your website they're not even going to look at your brochure when it mm-hmm. comes in they want to know i have met this person mm-hmm. um, because they have nothing else to base their vote on uh, otherwise they don't get to say well this person uh, is part of party x they're a conservative or a liberal or a new democrat so i have an idea of where they fall mm. there's none of that at least in edmonton municipal politics which is great so it was the amount of time spending at the doors so i ran in 2007 spent you know a month really doing a little bit of door knocking in between working a job a full-time job mm-hmm. uh 2010 you know, I, I spent four months door knocking, but only one month full time. I sort of took a, a, all my vacation time in the month leading up to the election. And then 2013, I essentially spent almost a year door knocking. Uh, and four months of that was full time. And the other uh, six <sighs> to eight months was, you know, 20 hours a week. So every waking moment I wasn't at work, I was mm-hmm. at the doors. And so that was the difference. I hit like 25,000 doors in 2013. Are you serious? Yeah. You tracked that many? I kept track That's of it. I, I knew how many I needed to hit to be yeah. successful. Uh, and it worked S- out. So Siri. Siri's excited. She was she totally was impressed with that number. So. Pumped with that story. That's <laughs> um, I was going to ask, what, uh, how do you... How do you prevent that initial annoyance of people when you knock on their door? <laughs> I mean, like, it's it sucks to say, but I, you know, 
it doesn't matter what someone's selling. They could literally be trying to hand me a hundred dollar bill. Someone knocks on my door. I'm annoyed, right? Like it's, how do you, how do you get past that? So, you know, you got to quickly coming from a sales and retail and business background, you know, first thing you got to make sure they know who you are and why you're there. Right. Uh, Drop and, the guard. Yeah. Quickly. Hey, I'm here. I'm Andrew Nack. I'm running for city council. That immediately says, okay, this person's not selling. They're sort of selling themselves, if yeah. you will, in a way, but they're not trying to make me give up money today. Right. Uh, that helps in a bit. And, and I think the fact that because there's not a party affiliation, again, in municipal pieces, that also helps break down some barriers mm. and you get a lot more people willing to talk um, because they're just talking to a person. They're talking to maybe their neighbor or mm -hmm. somebody in a neighboring community that that hopefully you know wants to build a better city and even though you might not agree at the end based off your platform and, and what you put forward um, there's not that same level of, of hesitation or defensiveness that first starts and mm -hmm. so uh, you know you have some who are, are, are more indifferent but rarely ever rude there, right. there's there's been very rare occasions in the now almost six years that I've been doing this and, and, and well, almost ten years since I got or over ten years since I first got started that people were disrespectful and rude and said, just get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. You know, you get a handful of those. But yeah. most people are like, uh, you know, I don't really I don't really think about it, but appreciate you coming by. Yeah. And, that, and, and that's sort of the, the default, which is mm -hmm. great. If that's the worst that I get, um, what a good setup there. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate because when I was 18, after my first year of university, I did a summer of door-to-door -door marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, great experience to get you out of your shell as yeah. a young kid, just trying to find yourself in the world. But there's been few things that have been as terrifying in my life as knocking on a door, random stranger, and trying to sell them on something, right? But total yeah. range of reactions, but the worst, and it only happened twice, was I got screamed and sworn at, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, once I got a dog let out after me, but I had already gotten halfway to the fence to jump over, so I was <laughs> I was safe, I didn't get yeah. bit. Um, but you mentioned another thing, that people face-to-face -face aren't really rude, which is something that's we're not seeing on the online platforms of yeah. social media, right? And I noticed you've got you've got a pretty you've got really good actual social engagement, mm -hmm. um, and you, you know you're, a lot of replies to everyone. And and do you see much vitriol getting spewed your way? Do you get a lot of hate in that sense? No, and I realize that that might be more of an anomaly for a lot of people who are who are politicians. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we hear pretty clearly a lot of women. Who enter politics get a lot more uh, vitriol on on social media than men do. Uh, I think that's so. There's an, an immediate difference there. I, I that I think, to be fair, I recognize. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I've been fortunate. It's funny. I, I, I was just just before we got set up today. I pulled open Twitter and only to find out it's my 10 year anniversary on Twitter since oh. I first joined. <laughs> and. Overall, and I know Twitter has a lot of toxicity, mm. and you see it in a lot of other examples. That hasn't been my experience on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, I've had really good conversations with people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you get sometimes, especially in the last couple of years, you get that initial reaction of somebody saying, well, you're an idiot. And, <laughs> but I, I, because I, you know, that level of hatred is, is maybe lessened, uh, my first reaction is, oh, okay, what are your concerns? Right. And I'll reply to almost everyone that, that sends me the you are an idiot or you're stupid or, you know, you know, cursing me out, whatever it is. And I'll say, oh, what, what are your primary concerns? Right. And then more often than not, you get somebody like, 
Oh well, well these are my concerns, and you can sort of <laughs> spotlight. Like, like you can sort of realize that they're probably thinking, ah, this is actually a real human that has chosen to engage me, mm-hmm. and I didn't expect that, mm-hmm. and maybe I should change my tone. Mm-hmm. And I find that happens in a lot of my engagements online. Uh, again, I know that's not always the case for everyone so I, right. I, I'd hate to suggest that all you have to do is engage the trolls and everything's going to be fine uh, you know there's there's a lot of examples of where that didn't work people engaging trolls and it just creates again I think it helps because mm. there's not that party piece that that maybe those barriers are lessened a little bit when you reach out but yeah I, I love I love the social media aspect of it I still find it really valuable and mm. I still have found I've learned far more uh, being on social media than, than not. Uh, there right. have been some good dialogues and somebody saying, well, have you ever thought of this? And thought, no, I haven't thought of that. Yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought it up to me because right. I hadn't thought about that. Probably a lot of it comes comes from your approach, right? Like if someone calls you an idiot, like do you think, hey, maybe I am being an idiot? Like tell me, like I'd love to yeah. hear it. Like, like why would I ever reject critique of what I'm doing when it's just like okay no if, if I'm doing my job I can explain that and I can explain that and I can explain that right if I really know what I'm talking about I can shoot down all these objections that you're throwing my way and hopefully also convince you of why I'm doing what I'm doing kind of back to showing your work yeah right? absolutely and it you know one of the things I tried to remind myself uh, and I still try to remind myself but but it was really important after the 2013 election because while I got elected I didn't get elected with more than 50% of the vote. Mm. And yeah, I could try and, you know, j- uh, jumble the numbers and say, well, the second place finisher had a fairly similar platform, so maybe if they hadn't run, I would have got all that. But I, I tried to remind myself, a majority of people did not, in fact, support me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Therefore, I better not go into this saying, I know everything and everything I campaigned on, I'm going to do with 100% certainty and not do any type of engagement at all or try to seek out other perspectives. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to say, what do I need to do to grow that support? Because if I plan to run again, which I did in 2017, Mm -hmm. I don't want to just finish with 40% of the vote. I want to finish with, you know, more than, I want to finish with the majority of people saying, I support that. So I spent a lot of my first term reaching out to everyone because I didn't know, you know, I I knew that a majority of people said, no, you're not the right person for this job. Mm -hmm. But our system is designed that I got the most votes, might not have been a majority, Mm -hmm. so I got the opportunity to represent. So I I had to represent not just the the people that voted for me, I had to try my best to engage and represent the others. Again, recognizing that you're not going to make everyone happy and all of that. And I think that I believe that materialized, that work materialized in, in the results in 2017 where, where that did happen. I did see growth and mm-hmm. I, we got a majority of support, but I still try to remind myself, you know, I got to, I think it was about 69% of the vote, which yeah. means 31% still didn't vote for me. Yeah, if you gathered all those people in a room, that's a lot of people. That's a ton of people, <laughs> of 80,000 people, 30% not voting for you. Uh, you got to remind yourself that that you still have an obligation to to engage those folks, mm-hmm. to try to hear their perspectives, and maybe see if you can use that perspective to to inform the work that you're going to do. It might you, they might not still get the end result, but maybe you can add something that makes the result a little less um, frustrating for that person mm-hmm. to say. Oh, at least I got this from that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the saying in sports goes, "It's hard to get there, but it's even harder to get back there." Yeah. Does that apply in, in city council as well? I. 
I, I would say yes, although I realize that in truth that's not the case. Once, if particularly on city council, the results show time and time again that I think it's close to like 90% of the time incumbents get reelected because mm -hmm. it's hard to beat an incumbent in a municipal election because... Well, if they're good, it's hard. Well, <laughs> and, and frankly, <laughs> but the challenge is even sometimes if they're not as good, right. um, their name recognition is out there. And right. going back to that point, if, when you don't have a party to align mm -hmm. yourself with, if you've only ever seen this name and you've never met any of the other names on the ballot, mm -hmm. you might even if you're like, well, I wasn't, I wasn't overjoyed, but I've seen them at my community events. I talked to them once. Yeah, I guess I'll vote for them. Um, so I realize the numbers would say otherwise, but but I try to again. I, that's sort of my focus on it, which is mm -hmm. I try to treat it as that. The second was going to be harder because now you have a record. Now you have something that people can look back and say, you campaigned on these things. Right. You know, what did you, in fact, did you deliver on these? Mm -hmm. And if not, why? And then maybe it shouldn't be the right one. And so I tried to approach it that way. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think that's that's the right way to approach it, um, even if the numbers show that it's a little bit easier for incumbents to get reelected. Right. But we had real, real changes that will take effect in 2021 around donations, around different ways, okay. uh, which I think will make it a lot easier for people to run stronger campaigns mm -hmm. against incumbents and I'm excited about that because I don't think we should have a, an easy ride or a free ride we should be challenged right uh, you want people to have that competition and to know that there there can be viable alternatives to hopefully keep us all working hard yeah exactly if everyone feels like they have a chance then they're gonna do their best to be as prepared as possible right mm -hmm. and it's gonna incentivize them and sort of dangles that care like oh maybe I can get there that's right like you said like oh why not me like I only yeah. need this many votes the first time right yeah um, you're so if my quick math is right, you're 35, 35, 35 exactly. years yep. old. Yeah, um, I don't look it, I look way older, but that's okay. <laughs> that helped when I knocked on doors. I, I would, no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say you look, look right in the wheelhouse. Um, you're kind of that kind of puts you in an in between age. Do you yeah. feel that like you're not you're not part of the old guard, but you're not part of the young generation per se? And I'm 30, so I can yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I still even feel like on the old age of the younger generation. Yeah. Um, do you find you get utilized on city council as sort of that conduit between older and younger? It. it more so last term than this term because last term when I got elected I was 29 mm. uh, the mayor was 34 and then really everyone else I think the next closest person in age was in their mid 40s but we had people in their 50s 60s and 70s mm -hmm. but this term on city council it's something that didn't get a lot of attention and 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 I guess that's probably good because maybe it's now just more accepted but four of us elected this time around we're in our 30s okay the mayor and councillor Sarah Hamilton, councillor yeah. John Zadok, and myself. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice now because I think it's just sort of accepted that that's part of what happens. And and I think the other piece is that there's now sort of a recognition that, um, you know, the city's at, we are the youngest major city in Canada. You know, our average age is like 37 years old. Right. And so I think there's an appreciation that it's nice to have people who are in that demographic, mm -hmm. uh, as well as having people outside of that demographic. Too. Of course. Um, so I don't feel like sort of the, the token young guy anymore, uh, which is which is nice. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, you don't get any more. Settle down, Junior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, my first term on council, it felt like occasionally that could happen a little bit. Like you know, this is sort of the young, yeah. uh, up and comer, uh, passionate. But it's guy. good. Like, it gives you that chip, right? Yeah, like it yeah. keeps you hungry. Yeah, it kept me it kept me humble as well <laughs> on that. Uh, but yeah, it's nice now because we all just bring forward those ideas. I think uh, even just in the city, we're seeing an evolution of us focusing on on innovation mm. uh, uh, and not on, not just on council but like the business community the, the larger you know nonprofit community we're all looking for innovation in the city mm-hmm. and you see it in AI that we're the third largest city in, uh, in AI research in the world and mm-hmm. and so there's just that mentality now that that's where we're headed so it's good and and what's nice is we have other groups like the city of Edmonton Youth Council and uh, I'm, I'm one of the council reps on there so we get that perspective. We get right. that youth council is made up of 13 to 23 year olds who get to provide policy recommendations to council. Mm-hmm. And that's the way, in fact, that we ensure we don't lose touch. Because uh, no matter the age of makeup of council, if mm-hmm. you've got active people like youth council, we also have next gen, that 18 to 40 demographic. Yeah. So I want to ask what the, yeah. what the main difference is between youth council and next gen. Sure. So youth council is, is serves as an advisory committee to city council. Okay. So they can and at any point in time, uh, if, there's an, if they've got an issue they're passionate about, they can create a report and get it onto a council agenda. Okay. And nobody from our city min can edit it. It is their report. So if they want to bring forward a proposal, they can bring forward that proposal. And I love that. So mm-hmm. they're going to come up uh, right away, actually. They're going to come forward with one around looking at uh, loosening uh, the restrictions on uh uh, being able to drink in public. So, and what ah, I mean by that is that, you know, a lot of cities, primarily more in Europe than you see in North America, allow somebody to go to a, a park on a Saturday afternoon for a picnic and bring a bottle of wine with them. Yeah. Um, uh, but we don't allow that in, right. you know, in many North American cities and in Edmonton. Right. They, they're coming forward and saying, and this isn't just, and, you know, I, and I, they're, they're a smart enough group, but my worry was that is this, is the, when this gets a, a lot of attention, people are going to say, oh, it's just young kids wanting to drink everywhere. Yeah. No, they, you look at the report that they put together. This is a thought out, mm. detailed report that says, no, we actually just recognize that, you know, we have cannabis rules and smoking rules and our liquor r- rules don't necessarily match up with that. So mm. they're saying, why wouldn't you have those aligned? Right. So that's an interesting perspective. They've been working on mental health uh, issues. Uh, they put on tons of incredible events. And so that group does, runs these events, puts together policy recommendations recommendations and regularly will come before council. Mm-hmm. Next Gen is focused on, uh, and I think my best way of describing it is really engaging that 18 to 40 demographic in their city. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a bit more unique because it's not just public members of Next Gen. So Next Gen is made up of both public members and people in that 18 to 40 demographic that work for the city of Edmonton. Okay. And it's, they work together. And so they'll put on various events to, again, get people engaged in their city, get people thinking about different issues, uh, but not coming forward with policy recommendations because they want to get that demographic thinking about what's happening and then engaging their elected representatives and then getting involved in coming out to, uh, to city council meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, tonight, uh, as of the d- time we're recording, they're doing an event uh, for a lot of new Edmontonians in that 18 to 40 demographic. And they're just hosting a, a gathering where they can come together and there are going to be other people come together and just introduce people to what's the city of Edmonton all about, right. uh, and what a great what a great setup. They do Pecha Kucha events where they mm-hmm. you know have ten presentations that are six minutes and forty seconds long, 
and you know each presenter gets that time they get to do 20 slides 20 seconds per slide and they can talk about any issue they're passionate about and uh and those are great events because they expose you to new ways of thinking and new activities and new just lots of different new things yeah and sometimes so, it just takes hearing someone else's idea to kind of give you that spark about what you're working on right that's just right. that oh yeah i never thought of it like that yeah. So they each serve a very important, uh, but but in, in many ways distinct role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I love that we have those perspectives that uh, that get to help shape our city. And again, those groups are now really embedded in the city of Edmonton to ensure that no matter who sits, you know, where we're sitting today mm-hmm. in City Hall, um, we're going to have those voices being heard and represented and to ensure that when we're making decisions, we're not just thinking about those who can take a day off work and show up to City Hall to share their views, but we can hear from those who are busy building the city and building their own lives Mm -hmm. um, that we need to make sure we're making decisions for them as well. Does the Youth Council mirror City Council in that it's got 12 representatives from the different wards? They have a few more. So what what we do is we, we appoint a group of up to 20 and they can be from across the city. We like to see diversity in uh, areas mm-hmm. uh, to, to ensure we have that diverse set of perspectives. And, uh, uh, and so generally speaking, Youth Council, uh, we've been fortunate to have a very uh, diverse group uh, every year for the last number of years that represent different areas of the city. Again, different, uh, different backgrounds and perspectives. Uh, and what's nice, uh, with the, they were restructured a few years ago so that we also do this program with uh, youth at large so that beyond the 20 that are appointed, anyone else who maybe isn't appointed, appointed that wants to get engaged or who doesn't want to commit quite as much time as, they, as the youth counselors do mm-hmm. um, can be part of various subcommittees. So uh, can be part of our health and wellness or our social equity subcommittees, engagement and outreach. And so you have you know, another typically 30 to 60 youth who aren't youth counselors who are youth at large members who are helping do all of that work and, mm-hmm. uh, and putting on just some phenomenal events. Uh, they just did an event, event here in City Hall called Rhythm and Rhyme, which is almost like a mini heritage festival. Oh, cool. And and wanting to just get people engaged to say, you know, not only do we have really talented youth artists here in the city, um, but we want to make sure everyone's exposed to various cultures. When you have such a divisive world right now in politics, right. mm-hmm. they're showcasing that, no, we have a lot more similarities than differences. And, while, and so they, they did that. So these are the ways that the youth can get engaged and so we get good representation from across the city does does youth council kind of act as the feeder system into city council like you see a lot of these young kids or people um and think well they're gunning for my job in the next 10 years i think absolutely i think and and we've seen it we've seen uh youth counselors step into other roles after that so you know, we've uh, almost every previous chair of youth council has done some incredible things in the city. Actually, one of the people I work with here in this office in Ward <laughs> One, uh, Marina Bannister, who used to be the chair of City of Edmonton Youth yeah. Council, then went on to be the students' union president at the U of A, and absolutely will be one of our next city councilors in the City of Edmonton. Wow! Shout the, out you know, to Marina. Yeah, I mean, you look at the work that she does and the mm-hmm. talent that she brought. And so when I when I mentioned that example earlier, at 23, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have an appreciation. I didn't volunteer or contribute to my city. Mm-hmm. Someone like her 
who is younger than I was when I first decided to run, has done so much more for this city mm-hmm. and has, has helped to, and, and people have recognized that by bringing her, putting her into elected positions. And mm-hmm. so I know it's just a matter of time that before she's sitting in this chair, yeah. which I'm so excited about because <laughs> I don't want to be here for the rest of my life. Right. I love this job and yeah. I would love to do it, yeah. but you have to recognize that there's so many other talented people who will bring different perspectives and we got to make sure we make room for people like Marina to, to run I encourage them to run and make sure that they, they can represent the city and make those decisions. Mm-hmm. What do you see yourself doing after city council? <sighs> and it's, it's such a tough question now because my life has now been in public service. Yeah. And, and It's hard to turn like, that like focus back on yourself and say, what do I want? I know. Do, right? and, and so it's something I, I think about from time to time because, you know, there's no guarantees. Like mm-hmm. in 2021, I have no guarantee I'll be back. And, and in fact, I don't know if I'll run again, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want to encourage new people to run. And so, you know, I think about that of what does my life look like post 2021? And, you know, uh, you know, there's ideas like maybe you work with Edmonton Public Library, which is mm-hmm. a phenomenal organization doing incredible things in the city. And that's a way to still serve the public mm-hmm. and yet take both the skills that I think I've, uh, I've learned from my time on city council, but also my, my education background that with that, uh, and maybe you bring those together. But, um, you know, I think what's sort of, it's both exciting and terrifying because I'll be 37 at that point. And yeah. you're at that point, you, usually people are well into their, the beginning of their career right. and I'll sort of be looking for a new career. Right. That's when people are hitting their stride. Usually, yeah. Right. right. And so, uh, you hope that people will look for, uh, be happy to have somebody with the skill set I bring. At the same time, they're like, maybe, maybe it won't. Maybe you get up and be like, well, I don't want this person. They've just been a politician all the most yeah. of their adult life. <laughs> Go back so, knocking on Bose's door. Exactly. <laughs> hey guys, so, it's me. I don't know. It's uh, it's something to to think about, and there's there's a lot to consider, and and I mean, there's still time and mm-hmm. work to do. I want to do here. So mm-hmm. what that looks like, and when I when I would, you know. You oftentimes might not get to choose when you leave because yeah. you might just get kicked out by the vote. <laughs> um, your, your hope is that you, you find the right time to gracefully exit right. um, when you've accomplished what you want. And, and maybe there's other roles. Maybe there's other orders of government one day. But mm-hmm. I don't like party politics right now. I don't like what it's become. Yeah, it's madness. So, so I'm not eager to, to be a part of that at the same time. How do you begin to change that if people who want to change it aren't putting their name forward? Yeah. So maybe that's it too. I don't know The best yet. thing to do when you don't like something is to offer a better solution. Right? Which is what I did into when I was 23 when I first decided yeah. to run. And maybe maybe that happens again. I, but I think I don't get too caught up in that yet because we still have almost two and a half years left. Yeah, you get a lot, still of, a lot of work on. that you want to finish. And if you start thinking too much about what am I going to do then, you lose focus yeah. here and you're not going to get what you need to get done. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, just side note, EPL is a sponsor of this podcast, so thanks for working that out. Excellent. <laughs> that wasn't planned, but I'm glad to bring it up. So. Well, I'm part of the Alberta <laughs> Podcast Network, oh, yes. and they're one of the sponsors yep. of the podcast network, so that actually works so well. Hopefully their their ad lines up with this episode. Excellent. But um, something you said, it, it, I see it as kind of a, it's a positive in a, most ways, but it can also be a detriment to younger people is that we're almost faced with endless opportunity. Like really, we live in a society where we could do anything you want. Like mm-hmm. if, you're, if you retire at 37 from politics, you could be a doctor if you yeah. wanted. It would just be a matter of picking that, working yeah. out the steps, and then moving forward through those steps. And same with anything. You look around the city and say, I want to do that. Or I want to be that. It, a lot of things will take a long time, yeah. but you could do them. And I think that's just something that hamstrings a lot of younger people in the ter- in the sense that they're they're paralyzed by all the opportunities. Yeah. They just 
they, they, they struggle with picking a goal or picking mm-hmm. a target and moving towards that. And, you know, younger people get a lot of, a lot of heat for the way they operate and the things that we do. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of young people because you do so much work with them in this city? Well, and, you know, I, I'm fortunate, again, to work with such an incredible group of youth. And, they, and there's always new youth counselors that come in every year, so we get turnover. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've, I've been uh, managed to meet many, many people over the years. Uh, and, and it's my work with youth council, it's my work with NextGen, which, is, uh, which leaves me hopeful and inspired. Because yes, although it's very different now and, and sort of there are endless choices and that choice can sometimes be paralyzing when you look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I find what I've seen with many in youth council next gen is they just recognize while there is so much choice, we're each just going to pick something we're passionate about. We're going to get working on that because somebody else is going to pick this area and they're going to work on that. And we'll help out when we can. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see people help out and, and branch out. But, but more often than not, I see uh, the youth in this city saying, no, I, you know, I know there's a lot of choice, but this is what I'm passionate about. I'm going to go work on this. And when I'm no longer passionate about it, I'm going to go work on something else. Yeah. And, and I actually think that's really exciting. It, it, you know, it's a, it'll be an entirely different working world then because you don't have, you know, uh, you know, 40 year people in one job. Yeah. Uh, but do you really want that if you don't have somebody that's passionate about do you know do you have somebody that's just been in the job because that's what they've always known but they, mm. they, they grow less passionate and hopefully those who are in their jobs are but you know if you hit that point you realize I'm just not passionate anymore I'd much rather you then go find what you are passionate about yeah because I think you're gonna see so much uh, a much higher level of output when you get people who are passionate about what they do and and I see it Every day I get to work with Youth Council, and every day I get to work with NextGen, and mm-hmm. so no, I, I'm I'm optimistic. Even though that we have a world of choices, uh, we're seeing incredible things come out of these groups. It's almost like passion and experience can either have a totally inverse or or, or um, parallel relationship, mm-hmm. right? It's like there are certain topics that the deeper you get into it, and the longer you do it, the more you love it. Yeah, but some can go the complete opposite direction. Absolutely. I think what a lot of people struggle with is the fact that it's okay to fail fast, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you you jump into something when you're 23, just at a university, and you don't love it, it's okay to quit after two years. Right? Yeah. And, and then the same thing between 25 and 27, and and up to yeah. 30. You know, eventually you're gonna have to say, all right, like I gotta. <laughs> Maybe nothing's for me, so I just got to figure out something. Sure, but um, you know that—that's what happened with me. I went through two different career paths yeah. before I finally got to what I'm doing now, at, and that was at 28. Um, and but it was hard on me because yeah. I'm getting advice from older members of my family saying maybe you just have to struggle through something you don't like. You know, life isn't about doing the things you love. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that like that pulling inside you of like, well, yes, I get your point of view, but. Why should I ever have to do something that I don't really like or at least find meaning in, even yeah. if I don't love it day to day? If it's overall long term meaningful, I mean, that's that should be everyone's goals. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's cool that you're working with that with all the youth stuff. Um, I want to talk about uh, technology a little yeah. bit because you touched on that. And we're, we're the third largest um, AI sort of development area. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we doing right now that excites you in Edmonton? Oh goodness! I mean, I, I think there's there's a lot that's going on right now in that AI side of things. Uh, whether it's in health innovation, because we have a unique access to data sets in the province of Alberta that really no other jurisdiction has, which is why I think Edmonton is is as high up on that list. I mean, you know, people wouldn't necessarily think Edmonton would be in the mm-hmm. top three, but I think it's one of those reasons. 
Um, but really, it's just the fact that that actually what I see is that uh, the business community is beginning to embrace AI in any field, recognizing that AI is going to impact every area of business. Mm -hmm. and. And most people recognize that right now and are quickly trying to invest in it and, and make their business ready to see how AI can help them do more um, uh, versus saying, well, we're only going to focus on this one industry and all these other industries are going to say, well, we don't need it. So we're mm -hmm. just going to keep doing things we've always done. Everyone's recognizing that. Yeah. You know, we have a, a transportation company that was you know really pushing on autonomous vehicles because they see a huge impact on the on how that will benefit their business. And I used to work for a transportation company that didn't think it would ever come. So I worked mm -hmm. on the opposite side of that. <laughs> and, and I think in Edmonton, we get generally people who <coughs> who understand that more than others. And, uh, and so there's not uh, one specific area, but it's just rather that sort of mass adoption that I'm beginning to see. Yeah. And, and a recognition that um, that it's, it is what will be happening in the future. It's mm -hmm. happening now. Mm -hmm. And if we're, and so I think the other piece is that there's also just maybe hopefully a, um, a self-reflection that we've relied on one industry in this province fairly heavily for years. And sure, while I hope the new provincial government is successful in getting pipelines built and all of that, we will never return to those days that mm -hmm. we ever had before. The, the, the boom and bust cycle, we might get another boom, but the boom will never be what it was. Right. And therefore, we are recognizing that we sure better figure out what else we can do because the rest of the world is going to pass us by quickly if we're not careful. And so uh, I think Edmonton gets that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's exciting me is that Edmonton gets that. Now we just need to make sure the province gets it, the country gets it, because you know, something like AI... You know, China is now investing tens of billions of dollars every year mm -hmm. in ramping up. The U.S. is investing billions of dollars every year. Edmonton can't stay out in front yeah. <laughs> solely on uh, the passion of the community who wants to see AI and right. uh, has to be supported technology. by big business. We have to move forward on that. And is it a is it a, <coughs> is it a situation that because we're a younger city, you think that's sort of the mindset that we've been willing to adopt because we see like okay, we need to make progress. And I mean, to me, just intuitively, I don't know a ton about AI, but I've, mm -hmm. I've done a bit of research. It seems like AI can make as much of a difference for businesses as like switching from paper to computers did, right? Correct. It's yeah. like you could have had lots of businesses say, hey, we don't need computers. Like mm -hmm. we've got perfectly good notepads that we, <laughs> we track things down on, but the possibilities go beyond what we're even fathoming right now. Yeah. Like, and, and the scary thing is that with AI, once, once someone gets to a certain level of progress and achievement with it, it yeah. starts to improve exponentially, right? Absolutely. And so it's yeah. almost like the first part person that gets there, it's almost winner takes all <coughs> in that sense. And of course, that will trickle down, um, yeah. but you want to be on the leading edge of that. You want to be on the cusp of that. Yeah, the last thing you want to be is the city that's watching everyone else do this right mm -hmm. now. It's why, you know, autonomous vehicles is a great example. We, we brought in this conversation almost four years ago now mm -hmm. because we see that, you know, while I get not everyone's, you know, sure of it yet, yeah. it's going to happen. It's, it's happening in the, on many U.S. city streets right now. Right. And so you can approach it one of two ways. You can wait for everyone else to move forward on tech and then have to adopt what they've done. Mm -hmm. Or you can lead the policy, because not only do you lead the, the innovation side through the business community and the economic side, 
in a, in a government side of things, we can lead the creation of the policy. A really good example is when ride sharing came and Uber came into mm-hmm. Canada. I want to ask you about that. Edmonton was the first city to allow ride sharing in Canada. What was the process like? Well, that? you know, I think it was first a recognition that that there were gaps in our existing taxi industry, and uh, people wanted other choices that weren't being met. And we and you know we had started to see a few few U.S. cities that were doing this, and people saying, "Well, why can't I have that type of choice and service here in Edmonton?" Mm-hmm. And so it was first going to bring it to council and saying, "Well, no, you know what? Maybe it's time to to figure this out and and support somebody that wants to do something innovative." in what is a, a fairly fixed industry at the time and yeah. had a lot of passionate people. Mm-hmm. You know, the city essentially created the, the, the situation we were in, which is that we restricted the amount of license plates that we allowed for, which, restri- which didn't really encourage a lot of innovation mm-hmm. um, to do anything different or to mm-hmm. provide a different service. And so first thing we had to do as a city council is recognize that, well, if we're going to change that, we're likely going to make some people angry, particularly those within the industry, mm-hmm. um, because providing new choices never uh, means that some people may make that new choice and may not make the previous choice. Yeah. Um, and then it was just getting make, making sure that you know we have great city staff who wanted to embrace that innovation too. So they sat down and, and wrote up what does that policy look like? How do you develop? You know, you can't simply say there's no regulations at all. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you overregulate something new and innovative, potentially you don't see it enter your city. And so they found found that right balance between allowing innovation and ensuring we had some basic safety standards as well. Mm-hmm. And and then you had a company that recognized that willingness uh, to to embrace innovation. And so right. they put in a lot of their time and effort into the city of Edmonton. And so you know, lo and behold, we became the first. And, and I think that's. That has shown, you know, that was a really good example, and I think almost one of the really good starting points of Edmonton showing we are we want to be a leader in innovation in tech in all yeah. of these there various spaces, and because we want to make sure people choose Edmonton when you're thinking about all the spots spots in the world that you can go and work and and set up a company and and raise a family in. Um, what makes Edmonton the city that you want to be in? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and having a city that's open to new ideas and innovation, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's great. I mean, I know people, and including myself, when I heard the idea of the gondola over the river valley, I thought, yeah. why are we even talking about this? <laughs> like, what is happening? Yeah. And, you know, while I'm still a skeptic, here's a group of Edmontonians who want to invest their own money, look at the feasibility, and yeah. say, why can't we do that? Yeah. And you know what? When I reflected on it, I thought, why not? Yeah. Why why not let a group of people, if they yeah. think they can do it and they exactly. think they can fund it, we should absolutely support that. For and sure. The mentality should be as long as it's not taking resources and money away from things that exactly. the city could be better allocating, then why the, why the hell not, right? Yeah. So I, I know we, we don't have much longer with you, but um, I want to quickly ask you, what's stopping a city like Vancouver from adopting Uber? I think it's... It, the. The taxi industry was has a lot of you know very it was a very important industry and still is a very important industry in the movement of cities uh, movement people through the cities and I think there there were a lot of concerns around uh, you know any ride sharing company but primarily Uber sort of overtaking mm-hmm. and crippling you know coming in to destroy an industry so that they can have their own monopoly so you know undercut all these other spots and so when many cities created essentially a monopoly on one side you know starting to break that apart is very tough and right. so I think there 
there's a lot to it, and again, I, it, we, we did not get through that process without uh, you know, making it uh, challenging on, on some, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, uh, certainly we heard from many of the drivers and, and some of the people that this, is, this has changed how things work. Um, at the same time, you know, there comes a point where I, I think, I look at it as that it's not necessarily the city's role to keep any one industry active of or in business. Um, you know, our role should be making sure we provide choice and options for people to live how they want to live. And, yeah. and, and to do that, it's challenging. Though. Mm. So I get why I get why it's still tough for Vancouver. I mean, mm. you know, the one nice thing about Edmonton when we did it is that many cities and ended up taking our bylaw and mm. then just tweaked it. Right. So and that goes back to this tech piece of why we want to lead it. But mm. uh, yeah, why is Vancouver not? Because I think, you know, in part, they, I think, got the tax industry to adopt a lot of the innovations that Uber brought in. Right. And so I think maybe the arguments made, well, that's, they. if you want that type of service, maybe it exists. Yeah. Um, I'd still argue that, you know, and I, I, I wasn't a great fan of Uber's business practices, let's be very okay. clear. But okay. that's, my role is not to judge the how a company acts. Mm. It's to say they're providing it. They want to provide a service. Should we make ourselves available? And so, you know, they came in and, and sort of kicked the door down, and uh, and and sometimes were very challenging yeah. to work with. And corporately, they had their CEO had some challenges. And so, just personally, yeah, I might not be a great fan of the right. company. But I'm sure glad that option exists because yeah. now a company like Lyft can come into the yeah. city of Edmonton. Now other companies can come in and set up. It doesn't. It, this wasn't about Uber. This was about new choices. Right. Exactly. Like competition should be allowed to to yeah. be a thing, right? And, yeah. And if, if you've got a problem with the new company coming in, step your game up. Right? Exactly. And you guys are free to develop your own app that yep. can do you know point-to-point communication, and which, like you said, a lot have. And yep. and in some cases, like we don't have comparatively to US cities, we don't have a ton of Ubers here. Like no. we're getting more and more, yeah. but I noticed that the cost of Uber is much cheaper in the States because yeah. there's so many more of them. That's right. Here, a, a taxi is pretty much comparable. Yeah. Like like to go from point A to point B almost anywhere in the city, except to the airport. Yeah. Taxi is a little more expensive to go to the yeah. airport. And I, and I think this shows that you know, the world didn't end mm. when that choice came into the market. The taxi industry still exists mm. and is still working well. Yeah. There's still a market for people who want to use taxis, which is great. Mm. And now there's also a market. What we've done is that actually, I think generally, if you, if we, I'm guessing, like many of the U.S. cities, what didn't happen is Uber didn't take part of the pie. They actually expanded the pie, yeah. and everyone got more business. Exactly. Because people are saying... Well, you know what? It's maybe that much easier to live without a car now because yeah. if I can rely on ride sharing and transit mm-hmm. and biking and doing all these things, maybe I don't need to have that car. Or we can go down to a one-car household. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's always more complex. So, quickly, last topic, I promise. But like I said, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't yeah. ask you what is the basic bullet points of of reducing the speed limits in certain areas in Edmonton. Well, so first and most important part is when we talk about reducing speeds, we are just talking about reducing the speeds on the local roads within mm-hmm. our communities. Okay, we so we're not, not talking about Jasper Ave, we're not, not talking about 109th Street, things no, like that. because those are the roads that mm-hmm. we commute on. Those are the roads that we require the efficient movement of people and goods, so we can't be touching those roads. Mm-hmm. But we are talking about once you've turned off that road and you're going to your garage, mm-hmm. you know, do you need to be traveling the same speed as what you might travel on an arterial road? Because yeah. time and time again, we've been hearing from from communities and this this conversation started over 10 years ago actually 
um, with community leagues across the city saying, we're having traffic safety issues, people shortcutting through our neighborhood, people speeding through our neighborhood. Mm. And trying to tackle those, um, it's not cheap and it's not quick because mm -hmm. if you want to install speed bumps or a raised crosswalk or put in a, put in a new crosswalk, these all cost money and the, the amount of time you need to engage people with is, is pretty extensive. So to get through the 100 plus communities that are waiting for traffic calming, um, it's not going to happen overnight. You right. know, redesigning our local roads to be uh, to to have that safety implemented in it uh, will take us time. It's going to take us a couple decades. So the speed limit piece came up ten years ago and has since resurfaced more recently because it's a low cost, um, fairly easy way to implement one additional tool for traffic calming. Let's be clear, reducing the speeds on local roads within mm -hmm. our communities will not solve every problem. Right. There will still be some that break the rules. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, the majority of people follow the rules. More often than not, the majority of people, when we've surveyed, have said, we want that. We want to have more livable streets because um, you know, it would be nice to go for a bike ride with my kids in my community. Right. Or it would be nice to go to take my dog to a park mm -hmm. and not have to worry about those interactions. And so, you know, what's what? What are we trying to create in our communities, mm -hmm. and then expand that out again? Remember, what do we want to do on our main roads? And I think what we want in our communities is very different than what we want on our main roads. We For don't sure. want people plowing through our residential areas mm -hmm. because those are where we live and yeah. where we gather. Yeah. And so, I think putting slower speeds on those local roads is not. Uh, I mean, there's obviously safety benefits and research, you know, I, I, and I, but that's the boring piece. I, mm -hmm. I know it sort of sounds odd, the safety piece is the boring piece. Mm -hmm. um, the stats that prove how much more effective it is to have those slower speeds. But in reality, I, I like to simplify it to when I grew up, the local road in front of my home, and I, and I don't say this jokingly, although it sounds like it, the local road, the primary use for that mm -hmm. was street hockey. Right. And could you imagine today doing that? And I know people say, well, you don't want kids playing on the street anytime, but that's what we did. Mm -hmm. That's where we gathered with friends. That's when, when we had a barbecue, we'd roll out the barbecue to the front street and the neighbors would come out and we'd have a bit of a block party yeah. informally. And, and certain communities still have that, mm -hmm. but I think a lot are missing that now um, because we really developed these communities to move, uh, the roadway network seems to move traffic through a community versus mm -hmm recognizing that it's all we're trying to do, community. we're just trying to get the traffic and really the local traffic to their homes. Right. And that's it. So yeah, I see that. uh, that's I, the, that's the very short version. Yeah. We talk about that one for hours. Well, it makes, it makes a lot of sense to me. My, my one kind of sticking point was if you're trying to make it safer by lowering the speeds, I just know from experience, like when I'm driving slow on a road, I get bored. And when I get bored, you're inclined to pull the yeah. phone out, right? Yeah. Like even just going down to White Mud where it goes to 50 in the construction zone, it feels yeah. like they're crawling through. And, and I just know you can't rely on people to make the smart decision. So that's one factor I thought. But anyway, like you said, it's a rabbit hole. And uh, and <laughs> the way you just described it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's not about making those thoroughfares for people to access spots. It's, it's about getting them to the main roads, right. which is totally understandable. Last question, what's your proudest moment as a city councillor? Oh my goodness. Oh my. That's that's a, such a tough question. Um, I always end on a hard one. Wow. You know, I... I goodness, there have been so many things that I've been excited, passionate about and happy to see. I, I think... Um, 
You know, the most, oh gosh, I, I'm sure the answer will change the minute I say one and I'll think about 20, 20 others. I, yeah. I haven't re reflected a lot on the, the mm -hmm. things that I brought forward or the things that I've accomplished. I think. Well, let's my, think of it this way then. What is something that you've made an impact on that you at the start didn't think you might necessarily be able to get done? You know, I think, um, and we haven't finished it just yet. We're in the process of developing what's called our city plan. Mm. It's the new plan that's planning for the city of 2 million people. What does that look like? Where are yeah. we going to live? How are we going to move? How are we going to enjoy our life in that city? How, what's our economy going to be? And while that work isn't done, we've still got about a year's worth left, we've already started sort of setting the stage for that around what that vision is for the city. What are, how we're going, what are some of the key goals we want to see? And, and I think what I'm most excited about and proud about is, is that this vision is going to be the first one that I think we'll have ever had that truly recognizes that we can do so much more. We've been, we've been really developing plans as a small city, become, getting maybe ready to be a big city. Right. This is the first plan that recognizes that we are a big city now. Mm -hmm. and. And that creates challenges because you have some people who grew up in the city for 50 years and who are used to a certain way and, and that's not everyone, uh, but we've got that and we've got younger people who have competing interests at times. And this plan is gonna be probably the first plan that doesn't make everyone happy, that tries to appease everyone. And that's actually what I'm excited about. I'm excited that the city's willing to be bold enough to say, we're gonna create a plan that will not make everyone happy, that will not appease everyone, mm -hmm. but recognizes this is what we need to do to continue to have a city that's, that thrives and that, uh, that, every, that a, a vast majority of people want to continue to live in and hopefully attract people from afar. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an attitude change that really started four years ago. And, it, and it, obviously, most of the credit goes to Mayor Iveson, who, who campaigned on that notion and that mm -hmm. idea of city building. Um, but I think we've seen it start to materialize in everything we've done. So I wouldn't put this on me so much as I think it's an attitude change that we've all started to bring forward. And that's right. what's really exciting about the city. Yeah, well, you got to be willing to make the hard decisions. And, you know, the city appreciates everything you do. And thanks for your time today. And thanks for everything that you do for the city. And, uh, yeah, appreciate this. This was fun. Thank you so much. I all loved right. it. See you, Andrea. See you. Hey everyone, before you go, two things. Firstly, uh, shout out to Marina, Policy and Communications Advisor with the City of Edmonton. A sharp young girl doing great things at City Hall with a bright future by the sounds of it. Uh, thanks for getting the great photo of Andrew and myself. Lastly, I'd like to mention the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group, and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on five topics. Women, sexual orientation and gender identity in Edmonton, visible minority women, and senior women. Learn more about these important issues at ecfoundation.org. As always, my sincerest thanks for listening, guys. This has been fun. Catch you next week.